Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to continue what was begun last Sunday in the first six verses talking about being critical, being judgmental, always looking for ways to look down on other people. And this really is a continuation that goes all the way down to verse 12. I'm going to pick up reading in verse 7. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, and will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be people who are kind, who will reach out to others to show the love of Christ, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't have to tell you that we live in a rude world. And it seems to be getting more and more that way. I mean, the things that used to be taught as common courtesies or good manners, they don't seem to be taught much anymore. And if they're being taught, they're sure not being practiced. A man was on a crowded bus, and when he saw a lady get on the bus and was having to stand, he stood up to give her his seat like a gentleman, and she fainted. (laughs) And when they revived her, and she sat in the seat, she looked up the man and said, thank you very much, and he fainted. (laughs) We live in a day and age where people just don't show much courtesy anymore. Now, here at the very last part of the the Sermon on the Mount, now, we've got a few more weeks here before we finish chapter 7, but the main theme of the Sermon on the Mount are the standards or principles for kingdom living, for living as a believer. And Jesus has already talked about our relationship with God. He's talked about morality. He's talked about religion. He's talked about money and possessions. And then last Sunday and this Sunday, he really is dealing with our relationships with other people. How do Christians relate to other people? How are we supposed to relate to those who may not even know Jesus? Now, verses 7 through 11 really are a bridge down to verse 12. And last Sunday, we talked about not being critical and judgmental. And it doesn't mean that you don't help somebody who may be headed down the wrong path. But but you ever known anybody that's just hypercritical? He said, that's not becoming of a child of God. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And now we're going to look at the positive part of that and what we are supposed to do. First, verse six, first through six verses, what not to do. 
what to do in verses 7 through 11 that leads up to what we call the golden rule in verse 12. Now, you got to understand that to show love doesn't mean you don't do something. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we call that the love chapter. A lot of times it's read at weddings and all. It's all full of verbs. Love is something you do. It's not something you don't do. It's something that you do. And Jesus gives us several reasons for obeying the command to love others, to minister to others. And it begins by sharing with us the available provision from God. You have something available to you. Verse 7 through 11 is a perfect bridge. Now, and let me remind you in verses 1 through 6, it talked about the log in your own eye and the speck in your brother's eye. And when we get our log taken care of and our sins forgiven and we help our brother or sister with the speck in their eye, not being critical of them, but helping them, without God's help, we can't do that. We don't know the difference. And without God's help, we don't know who the dogs and the pigs or the swine are. What that was talking about is you don't offer the, the deep truths of God to those who are agnostic or unbelievers who will trample on Christianity. He said, there are some things that only Christians know. And, and as you become a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives in you, then you're going to begin to know that. But you don't give it to just anybody because they're not going to understand and then, and then he says, look, you can ask, you can seek, and you can knock. You're going to need the help. You're going to need to know the help. You're going to need the help to know the difference of what to do in a situation. Now, let me ask you this. Does the Bible tell us the answer to every given scenario that's going to happen to you in your life? No. It doesn't. If, it, if God gave us the answer to that, there wouldn't be enough books for us to, to hold it all. But God gives us truth and God gives us principles for most of life. But occasionally there's going to be a scenario that arises that you can't just open up the Bible and say, well, let me find a verse for this because it's not there. So what do you do? You ask the Lord for help. Now, folks, if he spells it out in the word, you don't have to ask him. Trust me, he hasn't changed. If he, God said do it, he still means do it. If he says don't do it, he still means don't do it. Obviously, you have to interpret it. There's a lot of things about interpretation and culture and things of that nature. However, in morality, it's all pretty cut and dried, but God gives us principles. But if you want wisdom to know what to do in a situation, you ask him. That's what he's saying. I will provide it for you. And it's, it's written in such a way that you keep on asking and you keep on seeking and you keep on knocking. You don't just ask one time. Now, somebody will take this, these two verses, and I hear them do it. They'll say, well, that means anyone can ask for anything they want and God will do it. Do you really believe that? No. First of all, this is given to believers. A non-believer is not going to do this anyway. A non-believer is not going to come to God and start asking for wisdom. They, they can pray the sinner's prayer and they can receive Christ. But non-believers are not. In fact, one of the reasons we know this is written to believers is because all through the Sermon on the Mount, 
while Jesus is preaching this, there are non-believers in the crowd. There are some scribes and Pharisees, some religious people, some non-believers and so forth. And every time he mentions them on this, in this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, he uses the third person. Any other time, he's talking to his followers, to his believers. He's saying everyone, which are those that belong to the Heavenly Father. Incidentally, the main two points of the Sermon on the Mount is that God is our Heavenly Father and you are his children that have followed Jesus. Amen. See, the first one talks about rule. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is God. And the second part is about relationship. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We are his children. Paul called us the household of faith. John talks about God being our heavenly father and that those who follow Christ are brothers and sisters in Christ. You're sitting among brothers and sisters in Christ. You better get to learn to like them. You spend eternity with them. We're God's household, Ephesians 2.19 calls us. And so everyone here refers to those who follow Christ. Now, another reason we know this is for believers is because those who claim this promise must be living in obedience to the Father. 1 John 3.22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. You can't be in rebellion, living in rebellion against the Lord and him respond to you for wisdom. Our motive's got to be right. James 4, 3, he said, you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it upon your own pleasures. God doesn't obligate himself to answer anybody who's, all, who's asking with some selfish modem, um, a motive. And finally, it says we're to be submissive to his will. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So we can come. We want to make sure our hearts are right with the Lord. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean you have to be sinless to come to the Lord in prayer because if that were the case, none of us could pray. But we want our hearts to be right with the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be as obedient as I possibly can, and I'm asking you for guidance and wisdom. I want your will to be done. I, I don't want this to be for the wrong reason or wrong motive. I'm just asking, and I've already mentioned to you, Jesus, he said this in such a way that you ask and you keep on asking, and you knock and you keep on knocking, or you seek and keep on seeking, and you knock and you keep on knocking. And it's a progression. First is an ask, then seek, and then knock. You keep on. Let me ask you this. When you were a child and you asked your mom and dad for something, did you just ask one time? <laughs> Not usually. Children don't ask for just one time. They keep coming. Can I, can I, can I, please? Can I do this? I well, it's not quite that way, but we come to the Lord. You keep asking for wisdom and asking for direction, and it don't stop. Five-year-old told his dad he'd like to have a baby brother. And his dad thought for a moment, then he said, I'll tell you what. If every night for two months you pray for a baby brother, I guarantee that God will give you one. Now, dad knew something that the five-year-old didn't know, that mom was already pregnant. So 
That young boy went to his bedroom that early that night. He started to pray, prayed every night for a whole month. Then he began to get a little weary. He quit praying for a baby brother. And after another month, his mother went to the hospital. And when she came home, his parents called him into the bedroom. And he came in, he saw this little bundle laying right next to his mother. His dad pulled back the blanket. And there was just not just one baby brother, but two baby brothers, twins. Bobby's dad looked at him and said, now, aren't you glad you prayed? And he hesitated for a moment and he looked up at his dad and he said, yeah, but aren't you glad I quit when I did? (laughs) (laughs) Don't quit praying. A.J. Gordon said, you can do more than, you, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Watchman Nee said, Satan laughs at our toiling, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Martin Luther said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. And then Corey Ten Boom said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Do you just pray every now and then, or do you actually say, God, I need your wisdom today. When I get up today, I need your help and guidance. And some of you are saying, well, I prayed before, but God didn't answer my prayer. Yes, he did. Did you know God answers every prayer? Now, there's some different answers. Let me share some of them with you. When the request is wrong, he says no. Sometimes we ask for the wrong things. We don't know we are. We think we know better. Did you give your children everything they ever asked for? You'll notice I didn't mention grandchildren. (laughs) Those of you with grandchildren know what I'm talking about. And we, we even have to be careful there. No, you didn't give your child everything they asked for. Why? Because you knew they would harm themselves or get hurt. Most Texans remember that classic song by Garth Brooks where he sang about his high school sweetheart, that he had asked God to let him marry his high school sweetheart. And then years later, he's happily married to another woman when he sees his high school girlfriend and he sings, I thank God for unanswered prayer. Now, his theology is not good because God did answer that prayer. God just said, no, she's not the right one for you. Are there any things in your life that you keep asking God for and maybe you've, you've got your heart right and all, but sometimes God still says no. Paul asked, we know at least three times for his thorn in the flesh to be removed and God said no but I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to shower you with my grace so that no matter what happens, it'll be sufficient for you. So sometimes he says no. When the timing is wrong, sometimes he says slow. The problem is, have you ever heard anybody put it this way? God is never late, but he's seldom early. Sometimes God says, you know what? It's not the right time. When it seems like heaven is silent, it may be that God is waiting for the perfect time to answer your prayer the way you want him to answer it. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that their brother Lazarus was sick. And they were hoping he'd hurry up and get there because they knew he could heal him. 
And then when he got there, Lazarus had already been dead several days, and, and they were a little hurt and upset at his delay, but, but, but by raising Lazarus from the dead, he was able to give God even greater glory than he would have if he had just healed him from sickness. We don't always understand the ways of God. We don't know God's timing. And sometimes God's timing is not our timing. We just know we want it now. But sometimes he said, no, not yet. It's going to be a little slower in coming. When you're not ready, he says, grow. Sometimes the request is right, the timing's right, but you're not right. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Does that mean that he can't hear, that he's deaf? No. It means that he's not going to respond because he knows you're not in the spiritual condition to receive it. If you're living in open sin and you're living in open rebellion of the God or quiet rebellion against God, God knows you're not ready for the right answer. Ray Steadman was a pastor for many years in California. He told the story about growing up as a kid on a ranch, and one day he stole one of his dad's cigars, and he went out behind the barn to smoke it. Well, about the time he got going good, he heard his dad calling his name, and his dad walked around the corner of the barn, and Ray quickly tried to hide the cigar. He put it behind his back. Well, his dad walked up to him. He said, son, you want to go to town with me? I'm going in. And Ray said, sure, dad. But then his dad sniffed and he, he said, Ray, have you been smoking one of my cigars? And Ray shook his head and said, oh, no, sir. Not realizing that the smoke is rising up above his head behind his back from the cigar that's lit in his hand. And here's what his dad said. He said, son, you would better not expect me to do any favors as long as there is smoldering evidence of your disobedience behind your back. Ray said he didn't get to go to town with his dad and he never stole another one of his dad's cigars. But how many people come to God and they think they have the evidence hidden when in their heart they're not right with the Lord, they're living in disobedience, they're living in open rebellion, and, and they think, well, God's not going to know, and that he sees the smoldering evidence rising up behind our back. And then when all the factors are right, God says, go. He says, claim what you're asking for. The timing is right. You're in the right position and so forth. In Luke chapter 7, the Roman centurion came to Jesus and said, I have a servant that is sick. Would you please heal them? And Jesus said, where is he? And the centurion said, you don't need to go there. I know authority. You know authority. You just speak the word and they'll be healed. And Jesus said, I've not seen such great faith as this. You go, you'll find your servant healed when you get there. But folks, in order to get an answer, <laughs> you have to ask. Some people don't ever get an answer from God because they never ask. Ask for wisdom. Ask for direction. Ask for guidance. Ask for help when responding to others. He said, I'm providing that for you. It's available for you. Have you ever been watching your children do something? And you wish they would ask you to help them. But you sit back and let them thinking, I could, I could help you so easily, but we don't ever ask. 
But not only does he give us the provision, did you know that you find the pattern from God? It's an affectionate pattern. Because he uses some illustrations here, pointing down to verse 12. He uses some family illustrations. Now, here's the illustration. He said, even the cruelest of dads would not give their child a rock telling them it was a piece of bread. I'm sure today there might be some that are that cruel. I never cease to be amazed at the depravity of people and the way they treat their children. But for the most part, even, even a dad that wasn't a good dad would not give his child a rock and say, eat this, this is bread. For two reasons. First of all, the child would hurt themselves. And second of all, his heart would be broken know that his dad did that to him. He also says, you wouldn't give him a snake instead of a fish. Now, the implication here is not a live snake. He's talking about you wouldn't cut up a snake and fry it up or cook it however they did it. They probably didn't fry it, but they cooked it. He said, you wouldn't cook that snake and give it to your child telling them it was a fish because, in the, that, fi because that snake was considered unclean and the Jewish law said you not eat that kind of food. So your dad wouldn't give you something to defile yourself in the eyes of God. Now, Luke's account of this, his parallel account in chapter 11, talks about an egg and a scorpion. And the reason was that sometimes those large scorpions, when they were all curled up, looked like an egg. And he said, you wouldn't hand your child a scorpion that might harm him when he asked for an egg. The point is this. There are no perfect dads. All of us are sinful. In fact, he said, you being evil. Have you ever heard the term, you ever heard anybody say, man is basically good? You ever heard that? But man's basically good. Well, we have our shining moments, but we're not basically good. We're not. Jesus said, your sin. What he meant when he says you being evil, he's talking about man's fallen nature and that all of us have sinned. But even those of us who've sinned are more likely to sacrifice for our children than anyone else. If it comes to being unselfish, most of the time in general, we are more unselfish toward our children than anyone else. I got amused at little Annie Friesner of McCook, Nebraska, went with her mother one November to vote. Now, she couldn't vote because she was only five, but her mother was going to vote. And so she had to stand outside the voting booth. And the little girl, Annie, wanted to know what her mother was going to do in there. And her mother said she was going to vote for somebody. She was going to vote for somebody who would look after things and take care of people and be nice to everybody. And so as Annie is standing there, somebody walks by, and they recognize it. Annie, what are you doing? He said, I'm waiting on my mom who's in that little room voting for grandma. <laughs> well, as wonderful as grandma is, she's nothing compared to our heavenly father. 
Our Heavenly Father will give us, when we come in obedience and according to His will, and we get an additional truth in Luke, the parallel chapter of Luke, which says, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We have a loving Father. God has been nice to us when we haven't been nice to Him. In fact, I remember as a preschooler learning God loved us. We, we love him because he first loved us. So the pattern here is that God is proactive in loving and reaching us. He's not just sitting back saying, don't do this, don't do this. He's saying, I love you enough that I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to do something. In fact, he came, Jesus came, Jesus died for us, Jesus rose again. God will forgive us and give us his righteousness if we place our trust and faith in him. God came after us, and because of that, we first loved him. And then he has the audacity to say in verse 12, now I want you to go do things for people as you would want them to do for you. So we see the pattern. God set the pattern. Now let's look at the principle, the absolute principle in verse 12. Verses 7 through 11 lead right down to that. Because of God's promise, because of God's provision, and because of all that the way God has shown the pattern, we can be loving toward other people. But have you noticed that a lot of people's spirituality is based on what they don't do? Well, are you a good Christian? Yeah, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this, I don't do that. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's become a big bunch of don'ts. Don't, 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 don't. And yet Jesus said, yes, you do these things. You step out, you act on it. In fact, God's put a love in our hearts that the lost people don't know about. Now, lost people, they can be kind, they can love, but not continuously because unbelievers can do many ethical things every once in a while, but, but to live this way and sustain this way, you've got to have help. And by the way, other religions sort of touch on this, but listen to the difference. Let me quote a few philosophers. Hillel said, what thou wouldst not wish for thyself, do not unto thy neighbor. This is the whole law. Socrates said, what stirs your anger when done to you by others, that do not do to others. Aristotle, we should bear ourselves toward others as we desire they should bear themselves toward us. That one's close. Confucius, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Now, all of those ethical teachings come from a negative standpoint. If you don't want to be mad, don't make somebody else mad. Don't do to them. Don't do to them what you don't want done to you. So we sit back and do nothing. I, I'm a good Christian. I don't do anything. <laughs> Y'all know I'm telling you the truth, don't you? 
Because we kind of get on this, well, I don't do this and I don't, you know. How, how was that old statement? I don't smoke, drink, or chew or go with the girls that do. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Christ's statement is totally positive. It's a positive rule. We're to actively pursue being kind and helpful and good to other people. We are the ones who are going to be the nice ones. Christians are. Why? Because God's been that way to us. There's no place for Christians to be rude. When you go out, after we're dismissed, some of you will go out to some restaurants. I know for a fact that this is the day that the waiters and the waitresses dread the most. Not because they want to be in church. Maybe that is one of the reasons they'd like to be in church. But the reason is, it's because all these church people are so rude and don't tip. What a pitiful, pitiful description. We're rude. Well, hurry up. I've been here. That person was here. They got served before I did. I was here before they were. How about when we go into stores? How would you like to be the clerk that waited on you? Uh, If there was ever a place that the love of Christ ought to shine. It ought to be in those situations when people wonder, does anybody care? That clerk's trying to make a living. And I I know that they wouldn't do it nearly as well as you could do it. (laughs) That's what you think. But see... God said, I've been so good to you. You were a sinner, separated. You had no hope. You were doomed. And Jesus said, I've been so good to you. You can be good to others. I think one of the things that broke my heart about being there last week or the situation was there's always armchair pastors. You've heard of armchair quarterbacks? <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many armchair pastors there are, <laughs> preachers. I couldn't say this to them even though I wanted to. But you know, you, you don't know what it's like to be in another person's shoes till you've been there. It looks so easy. It looks so, you know, if I could just do that, you have no idea until you've done it. Well, we need to treat people with dignity and we need to treat people with kindness. <laughs> One mom was working in the kitchen and she heard her kids fighting in the other room and, 
And she hollered out, stop fighting. I've told you time and time again, go by the golden rule. And one of the little boys said, yeah, he did it to me first. <laughs> For this is the law and the prophets. The whole Old Testament is summed up in the golden rule. How you want people to treat you sums up the sermon to this point. So treat them as the law and the prophets. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19:18. Paul points out that especially to those of the household of faith in Galatians 6.10, and he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. We need to be nice to one another. It thrills my heart when people come in here and, they, and then I get to meet them later and they say, your people have been very friendly to me. They've been very open and very welcoming. And folks, I know that sometimes you come in here and, you, and you're, your tail's dragging behind you. I understand that. Sometimes you come in here and you just need somebody to, to love on you. And I pray that those days you find somebody to do that. But invariably, Satan will lead you to the right person. You're sitting in their chair and they get all over you or something like that. You know, if there's ever a place that we need to love one another, it ought to be the church. But why is it that church has the meanest people on earth in it? Not this one couple, not this one. <laughs> because God's been so, God's been good to you, hasn't he? Amen. So can't you be nice to somebody else? The problem is we've become so self-centered. We even take selfies now. And not only that, now you can do it slowly. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Now you can admire yourself in slow motion. <laughs> Narcissism, you know, that was, came after that mythological um, being in Greek mythology that narcissist who just stared at his reflection all the time. He was so obsessed with himself. We're so obsessed with ourselves. I want my way. I want my way. It ought to be about me. You better not step on my whatever. But God, but the Lord said, look, God's been so good to you. Now, if there's ever a group of people who are going to show it in the world, it's Christians, Christians, followers of Jesus. The problem is you become very vulnerable. Charles Schwab, you ever heard of him? Industrialist, wealthy. He was 70 years old. He'd, he'd gone to court and won a nuisance suit against him, but he was given permission by the judge to speak. Here's what he said. I'd like to say here in court of law and speaking as an old man that nine-tenths of my troubles are traceable to me being kind to others. He said, look, young people, if you want to steer away from trouble, be hard-boiled. Be quick with a good, loud no to anyone and everyone. If you follow this rule, you will seldom be bothered as you tread life's pathway. Except you'll have no friends, you'll be lonely, and you won't have any fun. Now, what a great point. 
Man's basic problem is we're so preoccupied with ourselves, we don't notice anybody around us. But I'm going to tell you something. You start standing in line, and when you come up to that clerk at the stores, and you start being nice to them, have, how's your day been today? Or during Christmas, I bet this has been a, a hectic day for you, hasn't it? Will you even notice me? That's what their first thought is. You even notice me? Gives you an opportunity to talk about the Lord. Who gives you the power to do that? Only, only the Holy Spirit in you. Romans 5, 5. In Jesus Christ, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The first fruit mentioned in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Kindness is in there too. So folks, if you're a child of God, let it show to other people. Just be nice. Be kind. You will stand out in a world that is so preoccupied with themselves. If you begin to notice other people, you're going to stand out like a light in a room full of darkness because so few people are doing that. And the one thing that binds us together today is the love of God for us. You and I are not alike. In a lot of ways, we're not the same. But you know how we're all alike in here? That God loves each one of us unconditionally. And our sins can be forgiven and have been. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you've never, you'll notice we never say, come join a church and go to heaven. Come be a Baptist and go to heaven. No. Confess your sins to God. Ask him to forgive you. Believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and God raised him from the dead. And place your trust in him and you'll be saved. If you've never done that, there were a lot of people a long time ago that started a church just for you. You know what? Our church exists for the people who are not here yet. Why? Why would we even care about them? Because God's put a love in our heart for them. Amen? Believe it or not, I know, I know we, we're a body of believers and we come and study the word of God and we come and worship and we're supposed to, but believe it or not, the church is here for those who aren't here yet. And the only way they're going to come is for us to show that we care about them. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray for those today who need Jesus first and foremost. They may have been like me and gone to church all their life, but still don't know Jesus. And I pray that today they would understand the difference in having a relationship with you and just being a church person, a religious person. Pray for your children today that may be in disobedience, that you would forgive us of our sin. Lord, we pray for those that need a church. And we know this one is far from perfect, but it's just a sweet place of people who've been forgiven, who are loved by you, 
who are struggling to serve you and to walk with your ways, but who've been forgiven by you. Thank you, God, for your grace. Help us to be kind and loving and to reach out. And even today, in this world of darkness, help us to be lights wherever we are, just to, to let you leak out. <laughs> let you, the kindness and the love that you've shown us be shown toward others. I pray for those that need a church. I pray for those that need to be baptized. God, I pray for those that just need a hug from you today that they would be reminded of how much you love them. We ask God that you would bring people to you during this time, this most important time of the service is right now, as people respond to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.